Inflation for most people is causing them to use their credit cards to try and make up for income shortfalls. How big is this problem? In the second quarter of 2022, Americans added $46 billion to their credit card balances. Some of that could be you. The Federal Reserve Consumer Credit Report showed that the rate of interest on credit cards went from 14.56 to 16.65%. Those Americans struggling with credit card debt saw their delinquency rates escalate from 1.66% to 1.81%. The Cambridge Debt Consolidation program may be able to help you reduce the interest rates by two-thirds and cut your time to pay off the debt from 30 years to as little as five years. If you're struggling and you want professional and objective help getting your credit house in order, then call 1-855-435-2066 or go to the website cambridgeyescredit.org forward slash bw hyphen podcast and get your house in order. It's time for Black and White, a show that wants to bring all of us together, talking again about the issues that concern us. It's time to hear from people who only want to deal with facts. It's time for you to re-engage in your right of American free speech. It's time for Black and White. Welcome to Blacks and Whites, and today we're we're going to talk about um, racial divide uh, with... um, David Bernstein, uh, who is an author and uh, a professor in the School of Law of Anderson Scalia School of Law. And uh, he wants to talk to us about what's going on in classifications in America. David, thank you for joining us today on Blacks and Whites. Uh, Thanks for having me, Dan. Why did you write this story and this book? So, you know, we all go through our lives now as Americans checking off boxes all the time. Uh, nowadays, the way it's done is you first are asked whether you're Hispanic or not, then you're asked whether you're Black, uh, Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, Asian American, uh, White or African American slash Black. And we don't really think about it too much. And we don't really think about how these classifications came about, how they're defined. I had a few incidents uh, in my life where uh there are people whose classifications were difficult to ascertain under the current system or who didn't really seem to fit. So I had a nanny who was from Peru and I was helping her get a green card. And I went to the green card, you know, the government office to get the green card. And they had a form. They first asked, are you Hispanic or not? And she said, okay, I'm Hispanic, I guess. So I don't call myself that, but I fit that definition. Okay, then what race are you? And she's like, well, Native American, I am uh, part Inca, but that says it's only for North American Indians. So that's not me. Uh, I said, well, are you white? She said, not white. You're black. Well, you're not black. No, she said, I'm not black. She's I'm Mestiza, which is, uh, you know, mixed Spanish, uh, indigenous uh, Indian origin. And, but of course we don't, that's how people in Latin America will often think of themselves, that they're mixed race or whatever, but we don't have any sort of mixed race classification like that. So I'm like, hmm. And also my university had a president Uh, Not the current president, but the president before him, who was from Spain, like he immigrated to the United States from Spain, went to college and grad school in Spain, then got his PhD here, then became a professor and later dean of of a business school and later president of my university. And he portrayed himself as a member of a minority group, and he was even on the cover of Diversity in Higher Education magazine or something uh, like that. And I was like, huh, what makes him different than any other white guy from Europe? 
right, is, is uh, in fact, in Latin America, the Spanish were the colonizers, right? The white Spaniards was sort of the oppressors of the locals. But here he comes to the United States from Spain, not even from Latin America, and suddenly becomes a member of a minority group. That's a little weird. And I looked into it a little bit and I found there was a decision, a court decision, where in New York, if you are from Spain, you're not considered Hispanic to get government contracts uh, with special treatment. But in federal law, you are. So oh, that's interesting. So I first wrote this sort of academic article about all the different ways we classify people, how those classifications came about, the difference between federal and state classifications. Uh, but then I said, you know, there's a more interesting story to tell here. I should broaden out the story of exactly how these classifications arose, why they are defined the way they are, and also why other minority, why some minority groups got classified as such like member people from South Asia, from India, Pakistan, are Asian, but people from other parts of Asia, like uh, the Middle East or Armenia or Azerbaijan, they're considered to be white. And why are people from Spain or other white people who happen to have Spanish ancestry considered to be uh, a minority group and then other white people from Europe who may be dark skinned like Greeks or Turks or whoever are not uh, considered minorities. So that was basically the impetus. And uh, it turned, you know, and I started with that. And I added as a very interesting chapter of my book, Classified, about all the different ways we classify Native Americans, like what you need to be to be considered an American Indian under different federal laws. And then maybe the most troubling chapter, which I had no idea about before I researched the book, which is the fact that using race has become ever more common in biomedical research, not because biomedical researchers think that the way we define race is useful at all. In fact, they think the opposite, but because the US government requires them to do it. Dennis, um, I, I, listening to that, uh, that, that, that wonderful description, um, but I, I, I have to ask you, America used to be called the melting pot, where people came from all over the world. And yes, they brought their cultures, but they became Americans and they adopted the American way, American laws, neighborhoods, housing, whatever. And now it seems to be that, uh, that these, the, there are many different races or ethnicities group, ethnic groups, who don't want to be part of the melting pot? They want to maintain where they came from as their as, as their national heritage, and so America should adjust to what they want. Well, I think there's a big difference between what the grassroots want, as witnessed by what they're actually doing, and what the elite political activists want. So uh, we see, for example, over the last fifty years. There's been a huge increase in the amount of interracial marriage, interracial relationships. I think, you know, when I was a kid, it would be unusual to see, for example, a black man with a white woman. I'm, I grew up in New York, not like, you know, somewhere associated with the Deep South or whatever. But that'd be pretty unusual. I think I, I'm not sure I ever saw a, a black woman with a white man as a couple. And that would have just been a very, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't have bothered me as such, but it would have been something that you just wouldn't often see. Whereas now I, you can't help but, you know, besides looking at the statistics, you can't help but just notice walking around the street. You see every kind of mixed couple you can imagine, whites with uh, Asians, Asians with Blacks, Hispanics with whites, and so forth and so on. And people are sort of, in that sense, voting with their feet to, um, integrate with each other to create a common American identity. 
Uh, and that is what the dream of the civil rights movement was way back when. But the political activists uh, who claim to represent the different groups have a very different vision of America. They see America as at least uh, either ideologically or maybe just for political reasons as so rife with racism and um, discrimination and structural issues and so forth that uh, even though they even though they would claim in theory that they agree that race is socially constructed, they believe that sort of race is immutable, unchangeable, and that the only way to have racial justice, therefore, is to split the groups up by race and then make sure each is getting their share. So we have two very different views of the American future, one in which we these classifications not only continue but become more and more ossified. Uh, which and do it through the law, basically. And the other, which I think people are spontaneously doing on their own, which is no, we're all just going to gradually uh, mix together. If people want to join Knights of Columbus or the Black Student Union or whatever, they could feel free to do so. But in practice, well, our primary identity will be, uh, you know, a general American one. So, are you saying that the elites want to keep us separate? That they I don't am... want us to meld together and become one nation regardless of race color or creed i am saying that i think there are a few reasons for it one as i mentioned is political i mean if you lead the you know some national hispanic organization if people don't think of themselves as hispanic uh in, in some meaningful way then, then no one's going to pay dues and no one's going to pay attention to what you're saying and you don't have that political clout that's one reason there's there's an, there's the ideological reason that um i think some people you know I wrote a lot about labor law early in my career, and what I saw from left-wing labor historian types was this notion that people are naturally divided by social classes, workers on one side, capitalists on the other, and are naturally at odds. If you actually do the research, you will find that this is really nonsense, right? That, that there were different workers groups hate each other, different ethnic, you know, the Hungarian workers might resent the Czech workers and they didn't get along or different different groups of workers, the steel workers right. might have hated the iron workers and so forth. And mm -hmm. of course, companies also are competing with each other. They're at odds with each other. They have different ways. So it's just nonsense. And I think that has kind of died out a lot. And as nonsensical as that seems in retrospect, we now have those who've adopted the same sort of ideology, but instead of the world breaking down by, by economic class, it breaks down by uh, arbitrary racial class instead. And it's it's they believe it uh, as, you know, purely as a lot of the Marxists used to believe in uh, the uh, class system, but um, it has just as little empirical basis. And finally, there are ideologues who really believe, uh, you know, let's say in the African-American world, that African-American culture is itself extremely valuable and worth preserving. And since African-Americans are only 14% of the population, if there is mixing to be done, uh, inevitably that will wind up diluting black culture in favor of the more general culture more than vice versa. So if you are that sort of ethnic nationalist, you also will uh, not be too keen on the idea of ever melting together because the um, unique African-American culture will in fact uh, tend to become less of a, of a thing, basically less prominent in American life. So is there, uh, we've got a few minutes before we take our first break. Um, is there a possibility that we've heard a great deal over the last several years <clears throat> that the, the, the Democratic Party and more specifically the left of the Democratic Party is courting the Hispanic or Latina vote, which they, I understand they do not like to be called Latinas. 
um, but that the but the the elites of the left believe that if uh, that Latinas will more often than not vote Democrat as opposed to Republican, and I think they're looking at the same the same idea. If you keep people in groups, in piles, in 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 in, in whatever neighborhoods, um, it will be easier for them to be controlled and get them to vote Democrat. Or, or liberal Democrat. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, there's a guy, Sean Trendy, who I'm kind of uh, somewhat friendly with as a political scientist. And back in about 20 years ago, people were writing books about how the future belongs to the Democrats because there'll be a coalition, basically the graduate people who went to graduate school and quote unquote people of color. And Sean pointed out two things. He said, first of all, the more you organize around identity minority politics, the more white people are likely to go to the other side because they feel that they're not being represented. And you don't need, and since whites are still the majority, you don't need that many to shift things to make up for more minorities. But the other thing he said, was that um, the mistake some of these folks are making is thinking that Hispanics will inevitably turn into a, a sort of separate group with a separate culture that will see themselves as a bit of part of America the way African-Americans sometimes do because of the you know, very special history, unfortunate history often that African-Americans have with slavery and so forth in the United States. And, the mis and among the mistakes there is that about half of uh, people who are self-described Hispanics also consider themselves to be white. And moreover, if you look at the data, people who have one Hispanic parent and one non-Hispanic white parent generally don't think of themselves as being Hispanic at all. So they just, they might check it off on the box for admissions, but they don't really think of themselves that way. So they are basically melting into the general white population. So the 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 attempt to separate us to have this you know separate you know to in high schools and colleges to have you know separate hispanic orientations and divide people by their privilege that is a reactionary um uh um gambit by the left to try to keep people separate because they've banked on identity politics being their future and they can't keep the groups uh in these identity categories then they're in trouble politically We've been speaking with uh, Dennis, or David, excuse me, Bernstein, and uh, the, the untold story of racial classifications in America. Where can you get it? Uh, you could get it classified uh, at Amazon and many bookstores. Uh, if your library doesn't have it, you could ask them to order it. They usually will do that for you. So please feel free. Super. We'll be right back after this message. It's magical, filled with wonderless and courage. It is a story about an unlikely hero, one that is a page-turner and will inspire you for years to come. It makes a great gift. Sad Eyes by Master Storyteller Dan Perkins. Now available at hollismedia.net. Welcome back. And we're having a fascinating conversation. And we're talking with David Bernstein, who is the author of the untold story classified the untold story of racial racial classifications in america during the break i was talking to david about a question i wanted to ask him and he said well just wait and i said okay i can do that so in early on in the first part of this interview david talked about the the, the people from all over the world coming to america and i talked about the melting pot where we were we were giving up our culture and in many cases, within just a couple of generations, 
they became more Americans than they were Polish or Italian or Greek or whatever. And so David was talking about all the various classifications of that have come up with. And, and I said, you know, if a black and a white marry, their child is going to be what? Is he going to be classified as black, as white, as something new? And as that child marries, maybe they marry an Asian. Are we, are we not, in fact, diluting because of the nature of our country? And as you pointed out, growing where we're bringing more and more ethnic groups together and, and generating the melting pot. Why, why is it so important for the, for the left to keep the purity? So, uh, you know, it's interesting because there was a time when a lot of the groups that we now just think of as being generically white actually had very strong cultures for themselves. You could go back to the Irish in the 19th century. Uh, in much of the Midwest, people of German descent continued speaking German until really World War I when it became very unfashionable uh, because of the war, but they had German language newspapers and German language schools. Justice Brandeis, uh, who was appointed to the Supreme Court in 1917, went to a German language school that his uh, father had founded, actually. And these groups, you know, basically, uh, and there were, as late as the late 60s, early 70s, um, there was books like Beyond the Melting Pie that people talk about the unmeltable ethnics, the Poles and the Jews and the Italians. Uh, the more recent, you know, immigrant groups from the early 20th century. And the irony is, after all that, the unmeltable ethnics uh, melted. Uh, and I'd like to mention to people, like I'm, you know, personally, my background is uh, Jewish from a few different countries. I think of myself as Jewish. We have a, you know, I'm religiously somewhat observant. We uh, observe some of the holidays. But 50 years ago, even people who weren't prejudiced against Jews, if I was giving a speech somewhere at the university about my book, people would look at me, think of the name, hear the name Bernstein, and say, that's a Jewish guy, just because that would be natural. Now they only, you know, now maybe a few people do that, mostly it's a white guy. Uh, so it's a weird thing. And one of the weirdest things I see a, a lot on you know, Twitter and other discussion, other places where popular discussion is having is people on the left referring to like white culture and you know, and, and um, white this and white this as if, as if the 250 or so million people who are classified as white are just like one group of people, which even with the melting is sort of ridiculous, right? I mean, you have people, you have Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn with the long black coats and the hats. You have hippies living in California who are entirely secular. You have Mormons in Utah. You have your Appalachian. Uh, white scotch irish whites and their and and their you know, sort of subculture you have uh all you have you know cajuns in louisiana and again there's mixing and all that but so one thing that happens is some people sort of mix out of the group and some people kind of mix in people combine their traditions but um you know no one's going to confuse uh you know, um, a tobacco, a small tobacco farmer from Virginia with a Silicon Valley, uh, uh, you know, guy from Seattle is having, uh, in, who went to um, Reed College or whatever is having the, you know, very fancy liberal arts college is having the same culture, ideas, thoughts, background. So in other words, um, the left has become surprisingly in a twist of ironic fate racialist. That they could, that they really seem to believe that you could just take all white people 
put them in one pile and and deem them to have a singular culture despite vast differences in politics, religion, uh, ethnic background, region, geographical region, and so forth and so on. And even maybe even more disturbingly uh, and really bizarrely to me, if you read the academic literature, I mean, I read a lot of stuff in writing my, you know, classify my book, not all of which way into the book or some of which kind of tangential, but still interesting. There's a whole literature out there. If you Google um, white racial consciousness, you say, well, right, racial consciousness, that sounds like the kind of thing that the KKK would be adopting, right? And we want, we want whites to be conscious of their race and to think of themselves. No, no, this is, you Google it, it's mostly academic articles from the left talking about how whites have to stop seeing themselves as whatever else they might see themselves as, Mormons or Catholics or uh, golfers or uh, Republicans or whatever, and start seeing just how white they are. Because once they realize how white they are, they will then recognize their white privilege and then join us as allies in anti-racism. Now, this will not come as a shock to anyone with common sense, but academic studies, not surprisingly, do show that people who think of their identity primarily as being a white person tend to be on the racist end of white people opinion. People who think, yeah, I'm a white person, but I, you know, I don't think of myself as that. You know, that's just a race, race thing. That doesn't really mean anything. I am a Rotarian or, uh, or Knights of Columbus or whatever it might be. Right. So the, the notion that people are going to um, that, that divide people into racial groups uh, is not only going to be good for the minority racial groups because it will give them a sense of identity, but it's good for the racial groups because white people will then say, "I have a terrible racial identity that you that you've imposed that, I've, that has been imposed on me," and I'm therefore going to use that racial identity to help somebody else. I mean, that's a that's a very sort of nicely naive and optimistic view of human nature. But the fact is, um, people generally. Our tribe, yeah, you know, we grew up, we evolved in small tribal groups where the people who we thought were our in group are the ones we want to help, and the out group are the enemies. And the more we could think of our fellow Americans as being part of our in group, the better society will be, the more we're willing to help each other, trust each other. And the more we think I'm in A group and someone else is in B group, uh, the, uh, I'm not going to say, oh, well, my A group is more privileged when we help B group. It's going to be, okay, it's a battle now. It's A versus B. And since I'm in A and my children are in A, that's who I want to win. I mean, that seems pretty obvious to me. You know, it, it's, uh, it, it's fascinating to me that the, the critical race theory that's being taught in our public school system, uh, the children are being taught that if you're white, you're automatically a racist. So that if you're parents were white you are they are racist and so are you and and re and relating racism to a skin color um doesn't make sense to me but it's it's being taught and has been taught for some period of time um i i i look at it and wonder um how is it that the elite white people don't see themselves as racist because they're just white. So, you know, this is, a, you know, I'm happy to talk about this because it's interesting. And certainly things I've thought about, I should say that I'm a law professor uh, and my book is primarily about the legal history and the current law, because that's my expertise. But of course, these things are all relevant. Uh, and if you, and I think if you look at people like um, Shelby Steele and others, what they say is that 
the way they do kind of see that, but what they do is that they're actually, they actually become more woke than members of minority groups, right? The most, the wokest, most left-wing group on all these issues is not black people. It's not even left-wing black people. It's left-wing, well-educated white people. And what they would, what they do, they don't want to, you know, if you want to look at it from sort of a, a pragmatic uh, sort of skeptical view, they want to say that their ideology does tell them that white people are racist and we have unearned privilege, but they don't actually want to give up anything. So instead of giving up anything, they say we're going to be we're going to impose uh, stuff on other white people to make and show how good we are, and we're going to confess all our sins. I mean, this latest thing, you know, taking my uh, daughter on college tours now—not all the colleges, some of the colleges—they'll actually start their admissions towards one of these uh, uh, land acknowledgments about how this university is on the historical lands of the blah 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 native peoples and how we appreciate the way they took care of the land like what does that actually accomplish what actual indian person living dead or in the future uh benefits from that anyway other than you're signaling to the world that don't that uh, yes i'm a white we're white people but we uh, acknowledge our guilt right it's it's pure you know the the, the, the phrase virtue signaling has a bad odor in some places but it really is pure virtue signaling, but the way to absolve yourself of whatever inherited racial guilt you have is to engage in this massive virtue signaling. Say, I'm not like those people, mm. but, you know, again, uh, the 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 um, trick of it is that the people who do this, they don't say, oh, I'm president of the university, I'm white, I got this through my unearned white privilege, I should resign and let a minority person take over, a person of color take over. I'm a white person, I may have unearned privilege, so I'm gonna talk about how I have unearned privilege and I'm going to impose rules on my students that don't affect me in any way, but may harm some of them, and that way I'll be a good person. Yeah. So to me, you know, it's not putting your money where your mouth is at all. Right. We've had this uh, an enjoyable conversation with David Bernstein. David, where can we get your book again? So again, the book is called Classified, The Untold Story of Racial Classification in America. Um, it's published by Bombardier Books, but it's distributed by one of the big guys, Simon & Schuster. So you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on um, in many, but not all bookstores. Uh, and you, could, you might be able to get it at your local public library, but if not, uh, they could probably order it for you. Do you have a website? Uh, my, I, let's see, do I have a website? I have not a website for the book. If you Google my name and uh, George Mason or, or Scalia Law School, you'll find my academic website. I also do blog uh, in two different group blogs. One is called instapundit.com uh, and the other is volok, V-O-L-O-K-H.com, which is a law professor's blog. Instapundit is more of a general sort of conservative libertarian blog. Thank you for joining us today, sir. Thanks for having me, Dan. It was a great show. Thank you. Take Thanks. care. Bye. Why do Democrats hate Americans so much? When Hillary was running for president, she said half of Donald Trump's supporters were, quote, a basket of deplorables. Recently, Joe Biden, at a speech in Philadelphia, told America that half of us are semi-fascist terrorists. Under the First Amendment of the Constitution, we have the right to express our opinions. And if we disagree with the left, they don't have the right to take away our freedom of speech. Clearly, the statement by Hillary and Biden are designed to silence the conservatives in America. Many Americans find it easier to go along with the left and give up their right to disagree. What would America look like today if our founding fathers would have given in to the king and not fought for their freedom? 
Today we must fight to take America back. Join the new generation of patriots who believe in the Constitution. Join the new revolution in America. Fire your shot for freedom by voting on November the 8th. Help all Americans take back our country.